1: My timeline would be flooded with rape threats, with accusations that I was taking bribes from other political parties to defame the government and to damage their reputation.
0: With the lockdown in place and access to crucial data on the coronavirus still limited, journalists in Asia are finding themselves in difficult positions to remain critical while also thwarting harassment and even coordinated attacks online. Whether it's government enforcing stringent laws on disinformation, fake news, or online libel, or trolls flooding media accounts with empty threats, journalists are having to manage just to keep afloat while keeping a close watch on their government's response to the pandemic. I'm Robbie Alampay, Pumapad Ka. And in this special series of Teka Teka, we continue to look back at the events that took place during the pandemic. But this time, we hear the stories from journalists from all over Asia. How did their governments deal with this pandemic and what challenges did they face under lockdown? In this episode, we check in with journalists from Pakistan and Indonesia. (laughs) We don't
1: have a lot of reporters in Pakistan who cover the health beat. So uh, there was a lack of information, there was a lack of coverage and that's just how I got into it. And during my coverage, I I went to testing laboratories in Pakistan that were testing them. I went to uh, COVID wards and uh, but one thing that i consistently did raise was that there was discrepancy in the covid data that was coming from the government uh, by
0: discrepancies i mean that that's benazir shah benazir be is a reporter for JO news she started covering the health beat when the coronavirus pandemic began and she has since been accused by the pakistani government of allegedly peddling fake news
1: i would talk to hospitals they would be reporting a higher debt toll than what was officially being recorded. And uh, I think that just maybe the government was not too happy with my reporting on these discrepancies and pointing them out. And I usually
0: did them in uh, Benazir has been a journalist in um, Pakistan for so 12 years. And she's worked for different media companies like Newsweek, Al Jazeera, and Foreign Policy. She tells us that in all her years as a journalist, never has she experienced a coordinated online attack like this.
1: Uh, I'm still on Twitter, but I've shut down all my other accounts on Instagram and on Facebook because I was really concerned about my privacy. These were not just anonymous accounts. These were senior government officials who were accusing me of lying, of peddling fake news, just because they did not agree with my reporting. I just want to add that if you accuse a journalist of peddling fake news, you need to have a counterpoint you need to have a counter-argument, you need to have counter-facts, which never came.
0: The first COVID-19 case in Pakistan was reported in late February. Within a month, the country started recording 200 suspected COVID-19 cases each day. In late March, government took it upon itself to centralize and streamline the collection and dissemination of COVID data. That made it a bit more difficult for journalists like Benazir to obtain information on the ground. Moreover, journalists became a target of organized troll armies, supportive of and defensive for the federal government.
1: I have heard that there were attempts to block my access to COVID information in Pakistan by government officials because they were not happy with my reporting. What I started doing is that when I want to reach out to somebody for a comment, I don't write my name. So, so then maybe when they do take my call and then tell them over the phone that uh, this is my name and this is the organization I'm working for. But those are just certain things that I'm doing to get around all of this. But that is a challenge that has just emerged over the last couple of months.
0: When information and transparency is crucial, journalists find themselves doing battle on two fronts. Online, they are up against trolls, fake news, and false propaganda. On the ground, they are threatened by laws. uh, Laws that are ostensibly there to protect the truth, to guard against fake news, to guard against misinformation and disinformation. But laws nonetheless that also can be used to silence journalists and critics. Such is the case in Indonesia where the law of information and electronic transaction is being used to muzzle freedom of expression. Here is Devi Asmarani. She's the editor-in-chief of Magdalene, a women-focused online publication in Indonesia,
2: the environment is repressive because right now the enemy is not just the government, like say, you know, 20, 25 years ago. The enemy comes from anyone. So if, if somebody doesn't like the way information about them publish on some blogs or, you know, even social media, even on WhatsApp, if it's like screen cap and spread, mm. then they can just have them arrested or report to the police and get a uh, legal case out of them.
0: The law has been around for more than a decade. But when the pandemic hit, 110 people were charged under the law for libel and hate speech. Joining her is Hera Diani, the managing editor.
3: There has been activists who were arrested because they criticized the government in terms of their incompetences in handling the pandemic and things like that.
0: Devi says the online attacks are not necessarily coordinated. They come from different groups.
3: The challenge I think a lot
2: to do with buzzers, people who are supposedly non-government but also they kind of represent the government on the, you know, on social media and they, and they do a lot of trolling.
3: I remember they, they use our logo and… Yeah,
2: yeah they um,
3: use our logo to actually campaign against feminism and against democracy. And we, in May, we received cyber attacks because of several of our articles that some people find it disagreed with. So to be honest, after the cyber attacks, we were left with more anxiety. And and we're such a small newsroom that uh, sometimes we're the editors are having self-censorship because we're such a small newsroom. We cannot afford to get sued with libel laws. There was some moment, for example, a few months ago when we were attacked like
2: big time on Twitter Mm -hmm. and the admin person, you know, was just like so stressed out. So we're like, okay, you don't have to you know, you don't have to whatever you you can just promote our stories, but Mm -hmm. then you can take off. You don't even have to read notification, you know, things like that. We have to protect uh, ourselves, actually, because we're such a small team.
0: While online attacks were common even before the pandemic started, women journalists in Asia have become the favored target of these attacks. Benazir says she has been called many unsavory things online. And she's even faced multiple rape threats from people in Pakistan.
1: Randi, which is like whore, prostitutes, Uh, they, they call us prostitutes. That sort of merge press and prostitutes. Then there is a ghashi, uh, which again is whore. Uh, these are some of the words that I use. Whore, yeah. like whores. <laughs> there are a lot of whores in my
3: timeline. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. And also, one of our reporters, they say, were faced doxing and also morphing. So we, we we were also target of online gender-based violence. So. That's what women journalists are facing.
0: Just as women leaders have become the face of strength and resilience during this pandemic, so have women journalists. The gender-based attacks online have only made these journalists more influential and more determined. They make it clear these hurtful words and threats will not stop them from serving the public, especially during this crisis. Here is Benazir again.
1: In the past couple of months, we were able to form a community of female journalists who are facing something which is very different from what male journalists encounter. And that helped because, you know, now we as a community can respond or take this up or just, you know, just offer support. The women journalists came out with a statement against these attacks in August, 12th August actually, and to date we have not received a single call or anyone from the government has reached out to try to address this. Here's Devi. So
2: Magdalene so far survives because we're small. We believe that we are agile enough and that we stay adaptable and relevant. I think having younger audience and always try to focus on how we can fit their needs would help, at least at the moment, you know, when the situation's like this.
0: In part two of our Rights Under Lockdown series... We talk about basic rights.
1: Yeah, you biked all the way from India because you had the fear of virus first thing and you lost the job. So they came to their motherland, Nepal, with hope that maybe it's better in their own country.
0: And the continuing inequalities, inequities and social justice issues journalists have observed during the pandemic. Once again, I'm Robbie Alampay, Puma Podcast. This story is part of a pan-Asian series on rights repressed during COVID, a project initiated by the international media support. Follow Teka Teka on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you podcast. This episode was produced by Carl Javier and Kat Ventura. It was edited by Mark Casillan.